Welcome, citizens, to episode 46 of I Am The Night, the weekly show where Adam and I... Say hello, Adam. Hello, Adam. Um, talk about the wonderful Batman, the animated series. And this week, it's episode 51, The Man Who Killed Batman, written by Paul Dini and directed by Bruce Tim. And you know what that means, son. You say, as I said, when <laughs> we looked at the title cards, and as you said... Nudging to me what what you expect, but to be honest, they are all good. But you say that every time. Yes. But still, again, this was good. It was a wrapped up mystery because we didn't see much Batman because Batman was absolutely dead, and any other uh, surmises otherwise are completely false. <laughs> but um, it's great that I'm glad you brought it up. Batman is barely in this. He's basically in two scenes, but. It's still 100% his show. Very much so. We got the true dynamic of what it would be like if Batman were suddenly beaten in a fight, especially with the most unsuspecting opponent. But it was a really interesting thought experiment, and it was a great character dive into someone totally new, totally offbeat, but still very welcome and good to show that they were able to develop a one-off, effectively one-off character so well in the form of Sydney. And do you not think an incredibly well-developed one-off character? Yeah, he's got enough collection of tropes that you'd have to wonder if anyone in the real world could be that clumsy and cowardly, but still very relatable enough that we could see, yeah, he's someone we can all really relate to and someone who shouldn't be in the kind of position he's in, but uh, by luck and happenstance, he gets himself into a fairly high level of notoriety. Absolutely. And we're talking, of course, about the wonderful one-off character, Sydney, and, and even the surname's genius, Debris, where if you <laughs> look at it, it's literally what he leaves around him everywhere he goes. Cheese? No, no, not cheese, Debris. He's literally a clumsy He's, you know, I know what you said about no one can be that clumsy or that... Um, what's the other word you used? Uh, uh, cowardly. Cowardly. Um, the clumsy... I'm getting there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, I think that's quite good. Then the, the few times you've ever been on a high rise, to my knowledge, was in New York, where there's very high glass to make sure that no one could tip over. And no flashlights to slip on. Yes, because that's a likely thing to have while you're there making shadow puppets to be the grand squid of Gotham's crime life. <laughs> it's so clever because he's there and to his watching goons who they've literally just left there as cannon fodder to keep Batman busy while they commit their crime. When he slips on that flashlight, on that torch, and he literally stumbles headlong into Batman, to them, from their angle, it looks like, oh my God, he's actually taking Batman on. This little dweeb's actually not bad. And of course, the notoriety earns when then Batman falls off the roof, saving him, and looks like he's destroyed in an explosion by a brilliantly placed and incredibly well-highlighted propane tank, which they all walked past at the beginning of the episode. It's just really clever storytelling. Brilliant. Yeah, because we know that that propane tank's going to blow mm -hmm. up. It wouldn't be there if it wasn't. And I think they mentioned that they were actually there to do something with it or to do some drugs of some sort. But it's a realistically placed one. I, when I think yes. of propane tanks, I always think of the one next to the phone booth in the Blues Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it. very welcome so it's just assumed Ooh. that it's going to blow up yeah that's what they're there for at the end of the day so yes and who'd have thunk it that Batman would be taken out by a bad case of gas I'm sorry it's fine <laughs> it's 
So Sydney Debris, Sid the Squid. Now, of course, killing Batman is a big deal and of course this little person this little klutzy little um nobody ends up becoming a superstar in the crime world overnight it would well it's very much within the same night by the looks of it it makes him incredibly valuable incredibly important but as people there in the high up crime world of the mafia are just in awe of the fact that there's someone fairly unassuming could take mm -hmm. out someone that's been plaguing them for years at this point. Yes. And he remains fairly like sort of cool and composed about it. But it just leaves a lot of questions that a lot of people sort of flock around him for. But then again, it also gives him a lot of unwanted attention that his cowardly self really doesn't want to have to deal with. Absolutely. I mean, like you said, um, unwanted attention. With most of the... Uh street level criminals and with the gangsters he becomes a hero and an idol and it's it's a fantastic scene in the criminals hangout in the bar where his gang are praising him and saluting him and sid the squid sid the squid but there's always like the uh ruffians the arm wrestling hooligans that think well hang on if, if he's the toughest guy i'll beat him and i'll become the toughest guy yeah because that's the sort of playground mentality that uh hardened criminals play with apparently but um yeah, it's true. They they see this huge power vacuum, and that makes people immediately go grabby hands for it, which is a natural thing to do, to be honest. So, yeah, he handles the eyes on him when he likes, but that's never going to last the way he wants it to, is it? Yeah, absolutely. But we have to talk about the brilliant bar fight that ensues when one of these goons thinks, "Well, let me take on Sid the Squid." And of course, he'll have his defenders now because he's a hero. And the barman, we have to. Yes, <laughs> we. I just wrote me. I just wrote me too, bartender, because he's just just sitting there, very lightly, like popping peanuts that you find on the bars of the counters of every bar in the universe, I'd imagine, and just looking incredibly bored because he must be so used to this. I mean, it looked to me like, oh, okay, another fight. Yeah, this is yeah. like this is this is just like any other Friday night. Like yeah. just just for kicks, he knocks the plate of peanuts onto the floor. Yeah, because it probably hits insurance. Yeah, claim on the insurance. Hit a guy on the head. Multitasking. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Now, of course, we do see the return of some major villains in this episode. First of all, Rupert Thorne, and. Um, it's a very clever ruse on Batman's part, which we'll come to, but we also see how the number one criminal in Gotham City takes the death of his nemesis by someone else's hand. We'll get to um, Laughing Boy in just a moment, because uh, it's very important that we talk about Rupert Thorne in quite a bit of detail, because they're there. The whole episode sort of framed around us getting the story retold to us mm -hmm. from Sydney's perspective. We get Rupert Thorne listening along, incredibly interested, incredibly eager to understand, and hearing all of the stuff presented in the form of his narrow escapes, his defeat of Batman, and then his even more narrow escape against when we finally see the Joker, it's right for Rupert Thorne to just be completely sceptical about this yeah, absolute nonsense. That no one could be that lucky, no one could be that stupid, as I sort of somewhat said about his character, but it's okay to sort of get the essence across in a somewhat stock character, but still, 
hearing that story is so loud and so proud. Yeah. We can see Rupert Thorne's perspective, and we and us following along with him is the very interesting and very good sort of focus to listen in from. And, and Thorne is literally top guy when it comes to organised crime. Forgetting the uh, Batman Rogues Gallery, Penguin, Joker, whoever, he is like the number one man in organised crime. And seeing that this little twit managed to do what he couldn't he just was not thinking it's like when lex Luthor discovered clark kent the superman he refused to believe it because no one with that power would would pretend to be human and no one who could off the batman and escape from the joker could be a dreamy little klutz yeah it's the natural thing to be skeptical about it because it when you present it and hear it that way it makes no sense so it's natural to be that skeptical but then again we also find out that that's not the truth. But the far bigger and far scarier villain running around in Gotham, I I, I wrote down that, of course, the Joker would have heard straight Mm -hmm. away. And, of course, the Joker has the infinite connections to know exactly who it is, exactly where they are, and just to lure them out just to make sure and have all of those things prepared just to make sure the Batman's not dead. Absolutely. Uh, We've seen Joker before. We've seen Harley before. But this is the first ever appearance of Harleen Quinzel and the hyenas Bud and Lou, I do believe. Oh, really? That's interesting. That's a, actually that adds up. I think that's that's correct. But it's still a very interesting one. We get um, the immediate dynamic of them, and essentially great zoology on the part of the sound sound mixes and the uh, and the editors and stuff. Because I learned recently from a friend that hyenas only do the classic laughing thing when they're about to attack or when they're stressed so the fact that we didn't really hear a lot of it makes a lot of like yeah. animal sense which I quite like completely it's funny because um, we met Harley first we didn't know her origins we didn't know her real name because allegedly um, she wasn't supposed to carry on it's just Arlene Sorkin's performance and the way the character took off that they then had to create an alter ego because if you're thinking about it logically the name Harley is a real name. Yes. The name Quinn is a real surname. Yeah. And they had to then play with that to give an alter ego, and that's where Harley and Quinzel was born. And we see her with the glasses and the long blonde hair, which then become the character trait of Harley and Quinzel, the psychiatrist. But it still grates me a little bit that Harley Quinn is actually a better alter ego name, and she should have just been called Harlequin, but... It's just the way things work when characters take off, I guess. Uh, they had to sort of build her backwards from the sounds yeah. of it. They had to reverse engineer yeah. her origin, despite having the actual key character very clear in our minds. I don't know. I feel like them creating the name Harley and Quinzel puts... Certainly certainly hasn't been how she's been created in, since. But I feel like that name is quite well-to-do and mm. like upper middle class so seeing her slowly devolve through her like process of meeting and becoming acquainted yes. and infatuated with the Joker I find that to be a very interesting natural character progression that I've not seen a lot of other bits of media really do so honestly as much as you can say that I think that that's a very interesting and very valid thing oh, that, that provides yeah. a lot of possible story yeah, and and they've done it well. Considering she was, like you say, reverse engineered, they did a bloody good job out of it. I mean, I mean look, 30-odd years later, she's still one of the most popular characters in all comics fiction, and yep. that's for a reason. But um, like you said, Joker, he is not going to take lightly to anyone taking away his playmate, and his reactions go from outrage to complete mourning to then just, well, well let's, let's just move on, and it's 
brilliantly played by Mark Hamill, I think. We can expect that from Mark Hamill at this point. He's an absolute master of the craft, but I could I immediately could tell from his tone right when he first meets Sydney mm. that there is just like seething rage. Yes, absolutely. Just, just like completely incensed that someone else mm-hmm. did in Batman. A with A just someone else without permission so suddenly and so efficiently and a no one just immediately. But he's very clever and very uh, for thinking just mm. to make sure that he's dead instead of just being like oh okay so maybe because I feel like the natural response would have been like oh he's dead screw you you took away my best friend yes he has to go and make sure first he refuses to believe it doesn't he and, and it's like mourning a loved one that that sense of, of loss and um, denial which is one of the main stages of grief he refuses to believe it and that's what I think is quite telling how much he actually loves that dynamic, that never-ending battle that's become part of their history and part of the real classic nature of the Batman-Joker relationship. Yep, he takes real ownership of the fact that they are so different but so similar that they have to be clashing forever just to keep either of them going. It's, it's wonderful. and the, the lines that Hamill delivers, brilliantly written by Paul Dini, um, like... We have to make sure he's really bought the cave. Mm. I thought that was classic. And But then what, what am I going to do? I mean, what's going to happen now? I mean, it's always been that I do the job, we have some laughs, then the game starts all over again. And it's that's it. It's, it's that game. Yeah, it's that game to him. It's that familiarity of him because without him there, I don't know if he'd really be bothered or he would probably wouldn't exist because the police would have been much more heavy-handed with how they apprehended him they need each other totally absolutely totally and do you not find as well where harley tries to cheer up her pudding Hmm. and he is just outraged and you clearly see right from here and it's getting sent up harley's third fourth appearance that the true love of Joker's life is Batman. Yeah, that's never a question. I feel like that was always the truth, and it's really quite concerning to see, but still done so well and so yeah. consistently that we have to just take that as a truth of the characters. So I'm very happy to see that again and again. And let's talk about Harley then. Okay. Not only is she a first rate supervillain, anti hero, psychiatrist, the girl plays a mean kazoo. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I didn't know there was actually that much range in a kazoo because when I hear kazoos, I usually think of our dear friends from the WWE, Agent Christian. Oh, yeah. I love those boys so much. They're great, and I feel like this is definitely their era of TV. Yeah, and I didn't realize the kazoo had that kind of range, or is that just great sound design? That's just Harley being Harley. Well, that also works. I like that as well. I mean that was that was great. Yeah, amazing grace on a kazoo. But do you... <laughs> it was amazing grace she was playing, just like what you'd get when you because that's the thing they were into they were into, that's what they play when they're like interring like soldiers and it's like war heroes, right? So different to when you hear it played on the bagpipes by Scotty when Spock dies in in Star Trek Two. <laughs> on a kazoo in this episode is just wonderful but don't they play that when they're literally interring yes. a hero someone yes. who's was uh, like a man of honour yes well, like a soldier he Which, did, he did yeah. kill Batman didn't he <laughs> well 
Yeah, no, they they were playing. Yeah, they were playing that for Batman, though. I'd imagine. Oh, that's a good that, point. Actually, that's their, that's their thought. That's like point. Sydney's like an afterthought. Sydney's just sort of there, an inconvenience. The reason why he why he went away. I mean, do you not find it telling as well, and, and so so Joker that they've got Batman's cowl and cape in the coffin, and he has to stick a kick me label on it before they bury it. Yeah, because that's as much of a last laugh he could possibly get, seeing as Batman's both dead and dead by someone else's hands. Brilliant. So, Mr. Thorne, the man who refuses to believe Sid the Squid could do it, and again, I, I, I did see it coming, but it's always great to be proven right so brilliantly. In an episode that's directed like... Um, Ridley Scott took his hand to it because I've never seen that much rain in a cartoon before mm. but that we know that right at the beginning when Batman's facing Squid on the rooftop and he says I need to know who's behind these drugs of course he played dead to watch Sid the Squid lead him to the man providing the drugs yep and it was a perfect ruse that surprised absolutely everyone and he went through Rupert Thorne's estate with absolutely zero effort because... Everyone thought he was dead. Everyone thought he was dead, so it must be absolutely terrifying to see the man who allegedly killed Batman and then Batman is walking through like a ghost, effectively. just to, Because if you believe the story that well, it's going to be like hard to follow and say, he's actually here, how is this happening? So it's a great thing to see. And honestly, yeah, we know that that was Batman's plan and it's but it's really satisfying to just see his silhouette there because there's a part at least for certain younger viewers there's a part that the longer the episode goes on without seeing him and seeing Joker's yeah. despondence that there's a possibility that he might actually be gone because yeah, Joker ends up believing it yep yeah and again this has done so much for Sydney's rep but I think he's done every bit as much as Batman because they think well actually he can't be killed because the gangsters say, when that explosion goes off, there's no way anyone could have survived that. It's true. Because of the size of the explosion yeah. and just how sudden it was. And we saw Batman falling mm. and then the pyroclasm. So, yeah, there's no way anybody could survive that. So do you think that will add to Batman's rep and mythology? It has to. It absolutely has to. Because someone who defied death like that is intimidating and very powerful. He wants to be a symbol of the night to strike fear into people like that, but also bringing justice to those who are under the thumb of those people. So he has the rep of the shadow, the figure in the night, the dark vigilante, the unkillable Batman, but he also has a rep to people like us, his fans and the guys who love his animated episodes, his comic books and his movies. That He's actually also a nice guy. He knows Sid is harmless and he also knows that this man could end up being ripped to pieces in prison yep so instead he fuels the myth and obviously Sid the Squid goes away he's an accessory to, to a crime and an yep. accessory to Rupert Thorne's drug dealing waste but this rep that he has in prison makes him basically untouchable doesn't it yep because even if he didn't actually kill Batman he made it look convincing enough mm -hmm. that it's enough for people in the prison to believe and in fact, he took down Thorn. And that he took down Thorn was even bigger. Someone of that kind of renown that he would have to walk walk all the way in. But that also makes me worried because will prison toughen him up so that when he's eventually released, if he's eventually released, he'll actually be a real powerhouse in the criminal underworld. Well, we'll have to wait and see. And obviously, you can't talk about Sid the Squid without talking about the actor that plays him, 
and Matt Frewer is a bit of a nerd god again. He, I thought he played more characters in this series, but apparently he only does Sid the Squid, but he's a legend. He's the classic cult character Max Hedrum, which was a series made by the UK um, throughout the 80s and 90s, and it was, it was massive. But to you, you'll probably recognise him more as the dad of the next-door neighbours kids in Honey, I Trunk the Kids. And, much more importantly, he's Moloch the Mystic in Zack Snyder's Watchman movie. Oh, he's... The, like a literal figure there of fear right in that flashback scene. Wow. Mm. That's that's good. I, I always really respect the casting people to be able to pull out unexpected but perfect for the role actors, sometimes Hollywood legends, sometimes figures you've seen just about everywhere. Yep, absolutely right. Right, so the man who killed Batman. Again, no complaints from me. What stood out for you, son? Good, bad, or ugly? Things you loved, things you didn't like so much? I really appreciated how well they were able to frame the story right from the beginning. Just the height of the tower, the storm, the big, heavy organ music. It was true tropes of gothic fiction that made it seem possible that, yes, Batman may in fact actually be dead and we have and the episode opens with that figure of dread being just pushed on us that we have to consider the possibility. Mm, absolutely. I loved a lot of it. The whole way that it affected the soul of Gotham, mm. not having Batman there. Joker's reaction was was fascinating. Um complete disbelief at first and then obviously taking revenge out on the person who stole his victory away. But I also have to talk about Bullock and Montoya because Bullock's always had this love-hate relationship with Batman but he was clearly hmm. clearly upset and Montoya's Madre de Dios reaction yeah everyone was upset oh. everyone was really feeling it because it's so sudden it's so unexpected We those people wouldn't really see Batman as this indestructible figure so to see him gone without a trace is a shocking thing and it's a dark day for those law enforcement guys just to consider they don't have that kind of powerful backup Yep, absolutely. Right, yep, another winner. Love that one. And uh, obviously after next week's episode, which uh, we'll cover for episode 52, um, fair warning for everyone else who loves and reveres this movie. Um, after episode 52, we are going to be looking at the, to me, still the greatest Batman movie ever made, Batman Mask of the Phantasm. So keep an eye out for that. But until then, Adam... Where can the universe find your written and audiovisual works? For Batman-flavoured things, I review many titles a month on Dark Knight News, and a lot of those fine reviews can then be found once again on Our Baby, Our One True Love, the Fantastic Universes.com. Uh, as part of the podcast going on there, I am doing a somewhat weekly hot take on some of my favourite video game, board game, tabletop experiences with some very dear friends called The Hostile Takeover. My other true love, mostly tabletop and PC gaming, can be found across Fantastic Universes and for Dungeons & Dragons specifically. Look no further than the Apotheosis Studios blog where I create monsters aplenty and situations abound. Follow me on Twitter at IsItTinkerer and if you want to see me playing more games, Dungeons and Dragons, look to No Ordinary Heroes where I dungeon master some very dear friends of mine and look to the hostile atmosphere on YouTube for some variety let's play with some very dear friends 
brilliant listeners readers viewers please do check out that stuff it is really cool as for myself just type in steve j ray or fantastic universes and search engine of choice from my written work across dc comics news dark knight news and fantastic universes this show i am the night is part of the dc comics news podcast network which you can catch on spotify stitcher apple and google play or wherever else you get your podcasts dc comics news and dark knight news can be found on facebook twitter tumblr youtube and wherever else you want to seek out cool stuff featuring your favorite dc characters the dc comics news podcast that also has the harley quinn cast mad love the spinner rack and um dc after dark has just launched on youtube featuring kelly Gaines and uh, her buddy tony as they discuss all things dc and have a drink and have a chat and make um, lovely recipes from the wonder woman cookbook as well so nice. do check out that show too and that's it um this has been the i am the new podcast here's adam ray he is the night together we are the night and we will see you again very soon thank you for listening and until next time read more comics and watch more batman <laughs>